that I can't remember what his answer is to that, but it's good. Cronenberg. Cronenberg. <laughs> it's like uh, you're saying it like uh, like Newman. Yeah. My favorite one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're like Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's get it going. Can you hear okay? Mm-hmm. Everybody in? Yeah. All right. So, uh, welcome to season four, episode six of the Art Fight Podcast. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, we're here welcoming Paul Horton. Uh, hey, man, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Sensei Joe, thank you for uh, showing up every time. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. It was a, it was a kind of a beautiful sunny morning here in Nashville. We <laughs> haven't had many of those lately. But then it got rainy again. No better reason to stay in and podcast. <laughs> yeah. Although this place has like a tin roof. And so, uh, like when we did the one... Like, like all the, places, like every building in the south. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tornado ready. Uh, but anyway, so sometimes when it rains, you can hear it in the audio. So if it starts raining really hard, yeah. people, we're very, we're very sorry for what... It, it makes you just want to press like the Dolby button when, yeah. when the rain is pounding. Because it just sounds like that is. It just sounds like static. <laughs> yeah, noisy. <laughs> Speaking of like people not knowing what things are, I, I literally had a conversation... Uh, just a minute ago with um, the young ladies that work at the coffee shop next door. Very nice. Again, White Bison, thank you all the time for mm-hmm. being so so benevolent. But anyway, the point is, uh, I was tra- talking to them about phones, and I was explaining to them that you, you used to have to wait until after 9 p.m. to make long-distance oh, yeah. phone calls because it was so much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying to explain how that like sort of if alters the social landscape. Like, what you know? are you talking about? <laughs> and, and well, what's I reala- long distance? Exactly, mean? that's what happened. They didn't know what they didn't know what long distance was. They didn't. And then I, here, and then I remembered something that I had totally forgotten about, which was so when you know people didn't have call waiting yet. That ha- when that wasn't a thing, right? Then you had to um, you would you would be trying to call your mom like I'm stranded or whatever it is. And the phone would be busy. Busy signal. Because they're just yapping on whatever. Because the yeah. phone was just attached to my your mom mom's on the in phone. the kitchen yeah, or whatever. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> it was like an appendage. And so uh, so what you had to do, do you remember this? You would call the operator and request an emergency interruption of a, an existing Ooh. line. Do you remember that? Did all, that I never had to do that, yeah. but I, I, I know what you're talking I about. Think we, I think there was once or twice when, when that came up. Like we were like stranded at a, a game in high school or something and yeah. nobody knew we needed a ride and the phone's busy and it's like can you interrupt and get my mom off the phone because we're stuck at school and can't get home yeah what is your name and what is your emergency and we'll go and so just think about like how yeah i've got a call from joe nolan people are so paranoid (laughs) now about the nsa or or whatever with their phones and i'm like when i was growing up like random people could just punch into your yeah like if if a guy could just get physical access to yeah (laughs) whatever they could just listen to your calls or or whatever so everybody just relax yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just relax. <laughs> also, privacy is dead. But anyway, so uh, Paul, Paul, thanks for uh, for for coming out. Uh, it's one of these mm-hmm. things where it's like um, there's just certain people that I start catching what, what they're doing, and um, and I, I sort of keep following and you know stalking and all that, and then uh, you know I mean I haven't seen like your living room, you know, but uh, <laughs> but I've been but I've been paying some attention. No, but the thing is, it's just that it's so like we were talking about before you know like in Nashville it seems like like how long have you been here Uh, since 2005 okay so that's that seems like long enough to where I would just naturally run into but I was gone for about four years at that time Mm -hmm. but anyway uh, so it's just cool to finally meet I just know we have a lot of intersections yeah uh, like for instance um, DJ Colonel Austin yeah oh wow you know him yeah (laughs) Chris yeah (laughs) 
That's awesome. Um, so, you know, we, we just have a lot of these. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, but yeah, so, and if you don't know uh, Paul's music, go find it. Um, the outfit. Tell us about, like, sort of, you just kind of get some of this introductory stuff out of the way, but, like, concurrence is probably the thing that's taking up a, a good bit of your time right, right now. And that is a pretty, by the way, you guys every time I see hear anything I'm like I'm fully blown away all the re- records and seeing all the live footage and everything I'm so old man like like to go to, go to a, like an 11pm show is, is like a death sentence for me <laughs> I'm realizing like this is happening to me I'm one of them now I became what I never you know, what I was determined yeah. to never become <laughs> so maybe there's some way back I, I don't know uh, meanwhile here you are you know family man doing all the things and you're you know you're holding it down doing like five things so um, anyway but tell us about like uh, uh, what concurrence is all about and how long that's been going on and, and where you're going with it um, concurrence started um, officially like the first concurrence thing that happened was probably 2004 ish um, I, I think that's right 2004 2005 is when we decided that we were gonna keep keep it up um, and uh, my partner in crime on that is uh, Greg Bryant mm. and uh, I met Greg uh, when we were at MTSU, and t- I was there 2000 to uh, 2001, mm-hmm. and he was a journalism major, and I was a music major, and we just started um, playing um, regularly at this spot across the street that's no longer there. It was a pizza joint um, in Murfreesboro. In Murfreesboro, mm-hmm. uh, run by uh, the dopest uh, Iraqi immigrant family that just let us do whatever we wanted mm. there basically yeah. that's awesome <laughs> and um, so we, uh, I moved away kept in touch he went on to go to Northwestern and do some internship in DC and then one before he moved back to Tennessee one summer he said man come up and let's do some duo recording and I went up and um did some duo recording on one of those little blue D Korg D6 things that you would you know you could find at any music store back then it was just yay big real small and um, like a little hard drive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and we just uh, just started improvising off the cuff which we used to do when we were first playing but mm-hmm. uh, that kind of ignited it and then I moved there in 05 and we kept it up and um, you moved to where to Chicago where was no um, I was I had moved I'm originally from North Alabama okay so um, I left school in 02 early didn't didn't finish it but Mm -hmm. I moved back to Alabama ended Mm -hmm. up getting married Um, her job moved her back to Nashville oh okay so So you were already back yeah Yeah, yeah. I moved back in 05 Mm -hmm. so um, so we just we kept it going from there and um eventually cut to you know tons of like duo gigs and you know like the hotel um it's not hotel Preston over there off of uh Briley. it maybe is yeah, hotel Preston, Preston. Yeah. stuff like there and like the old guidos and just a bunch of places oh, yeah. that hair oh, the, about that. bunch mm. of places that are gone we just do duo sets just improvising um, and it, we would take it like pretty, pretty out, pretty far out there. Mm-hmm. That's kick ass. And um, um, eventually, we brought in a drummer. And the, the first time that we like consistently, 
the first time we brought a drummer in was when Derek Phillips moved to town. Mm-hmm. Great drummer here in town. And then, like, the second time was probably we uh, were fortunate enough to get Nasheed Waits, a great drummer from New York. And um, he came... Last name Waits? Mm-hmm, Waits. He's Freddie Waits' that's what son. I'll, that's what I... Really? And uh, he's a part of... Uh, there's a great trio called Jason Rand's Bandwagon, and he's the drummer in that in that band and he's Freddie Waits is to me like the, probably the most underappreciated landmark jazz drummer ever yeah um, and honestly I'm, I'm even at fault a little bit like it took me a minute to sort of orient to what was going on and it was that there's a McCoy Tyner record that's um, whatever it's like a double album I can't remember the name of it now but it's like um, oh it's right on the cusp yeah. anyway but it's uh, oh Cosmos is that what it is? Or, yeah, something like that. It sounds right. I'm I'm yeah. blanking. My there's a McCoy, um, like blind spot. Yeah. Uh, from the seventies mm. up until like later on, but yeah. But anyway, I don't mean to derail that. No, but I just uh, I I heard weights. I was like, oh yeah, huh? Drummer weights. So that makes sense. That's amazing. Yeah. And then ever since then we've um, had a drummer in the band, and mm-hmm. we rotate with. Um, a core of like five drummers when based on their schedule yeah welcome to Nashville right yeah (laughs) Yeah. wow Um, so and and, like we were talking about like like I used to have various improvisational outfits that we would play in back in those times and we got kicked out or banned from we didn't have the experience that you have but we were probably also not as good (laughs) Um, we actually would kind of go into it with kind of like a weird cultural militaristic kind of agenda where we would we would actually play kind of with the aim of stressing the bounds of what was going on environmentally mm. not really trying to like find the edge and then kind of comfortably sit within it and just kind of have a quiet conversation or whatever it right. was like like we would go to um cat that caffeine on oh Dumbledore. yeah remember that yeah so we, we would go there we would go to like um we got banned from uh mercy lounge we got banned we got banned from the I think we got banned from the end, which I think was a real oh, accomplishment. Wow. Hmm. Um, As, I don't think anybody's been banned yeah. from the end. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. um, so you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. No, uh, but I, the point, I, I guess, mean, is just that like being so loud or so like is, just yeah. like painfully atonal. I mean, what do you mean? All the things. <laughs> yeah. 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 But a, lot, a lot of times, I had no, like really good people playing though. Like it was just out. It just wasn't yeah. even trying to be in. Yeah, you know, but I mean, we had sets where like it would be like there was one we did it was like Steve Poulton and Ben Markintel <laughs> and uh, Ryan Norris and uh, I don't uh, Joe McMahon mm-hmm. and just a bunch of people that were all like stellar players in their own right but we were just getting together pouring paints into a yeah you know, colors into just make, fun, making though. like brown paint I guess fun for you. Exactly. It was fully, it was fully self indulgent. I, yeah. I admit that, but I guess the point of that is just that at that. T- I guess I'm just trying to speak to that time yeah. in Nashville, where if you were not, on one hand, it was such a cool time because that was really the end of being able to live here cheap. It was sort of like right. an art, artist retreat. It was like yep. a secret place yeah. where it's like, man, everybody I'm surrounded by is world class, but but there's no hype here. There's uh-huh. no yeah. fluff. It's just like musical infrastructure to use, people doing amazing shit, and you're just doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then obviously we're, we are where we are now, but without lamenting all that, I'm just thinking about like 
having enough perspective now to see like there's a spirit of a time mm-hmm. in Nashville yeah. at that time that to me is really thick with uh, a lot of people were able to play shows that will never be able to happen no. again mm-hmm. no I was thinking about uh, like the first time I went into Betty's like when I moved back when I moved um, to Nashville I'd say moved back but before I was living in Murfreesboro mm-hmm. visiting Nashville a lot but and I remember I went in there and it was it was like it was a it was like an avant-garde band and there's a guy playing a theorem made out of an Atari and it was just it was just a lot that I had never like seen live before coming mm. from my little small town in Alabama so I was like what is going on here and then Leslie Keffer was at the time like curating I guess Betty's mm. and she um, I found out later after like just talking to her briefly a couple of times there that she um, she didn't bring it up but I just like you know researched and I in, found out she had like a a band or a group with Thurston Moore mm. and she was like on the noise scene yeah and um so that that time that you're talking about is like that was kind of change life one of those life-changing things for me not having experienced mm-hmm. like um the all and out freedom from that perspective and yeah. you know I'd seen and participated in like fr- you know uh acoustic instrumental and guitars and uh keyboards playing in the moment but like these people had like modular synths and just mm. circuit bent toys and mm. stuff and mm. so that was kind of like a people that are really sort of uh stretching the bounds of sound right. and playing with sound right. uh well the thing too is like if you look at any of the masters that we all idolize or whatever you, you know and you study them you realize that they all had some thing that they ran into that changed them in their early progression that became sort of the differentiating element that they added to the basis of what they were already like maybe cultivated in culturally or music school or whatever the hell it was or all of those things um you know like uh, like with michael shreve you know he talked like this is a guy that basically just like split to go like he he was in san francisco or wherever just outside of san francisco he's like 16 17 years old next thing you know he's just like going to a rehearsal spot and here comes carlos antenna coming out and they had just fired their drummer he's shreve is coming insane. in with his drums right. hey you want to and then the next thing you know like he's woodstock <laughs> yeah uh, but but that's all born of like this this cultural movement obviously what was happening in nashville in the early 2000s is not comparable to maybe the bay area late 60s but mm-hmm. yeah. um but it, i think it is important like or yeah, you know, special any, though like downtown jazz situation in new york or like when the 52nd street uh, street thing broke out or whatever and then all these people were sort of something happened yeah you know and then people could stretch and then stuff more stuff happened and then i guess then miles davis did a bunch of heroin and disappeared and then yeah yeah that's i just wrote the story of music right back (laughs) (laughs) no but uh but i do think it's interesting though to reflect on that and it's cool that you sort of saw it from the because spring the spring water right and like what dave cloud and like Mm -hmm. that whole situation over there and then obviously whatever chris davis has been running through nashville for a long time obviously is pivotal you know, but you had little all, Hamilton. And yeah, yeah. Oh, there was yeah, the owl. Yeah. There's the owl. I was just talking about the owl's nest. Yeah, over off of Elliston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we were talking about Jeff Coffin, like yeah, playing there or at mm-hmm. Bean Central. 
Yeah. Whoa. Bean Central. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I forgot all about that spot. Yeah. O- over there. Yeah. Like off of White Bridge? Off of. Oh. Okay, what's okay? I'm thinking of a spot over it's there. It's off of West End. West End. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Or maybe yeah. it was West End. Yeah, West yeah. Right. it's West End. By the, by okay. the, in the same plaza as Near the Honey Baked Ham. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. By the Honey Baked Ham. <laughs> that's fine. No, no, no. I, I will say that I get my strip malls confused very easily. <laughs> there was a really good. There was a really good Chinese restaurant over there too. Yeah, yeah. That was a good. That was a good area. <laughs> yeah, that was. The, and and yeah, windows. A lot, these, a lot of these places. A windows on the Cumberland. Yeah, that place was awesome. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah, I remember uh, playing. Yeah, that was, that was back when like half the places you would play, you'd be like, "I don't care, man. I don't care how many flights of stairs they have. Mm. I'm taking all of my shit." <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yep. I got to express myself. Yeah, <laughs> windows on the cover. That's the difference between being like a young musician and an older musician. I think it's just you're. I'm, I'm always. Anytime I like, I've gotten. The, I used to have a whole giant studio with all this stuff. Now I'm just like I have like three things. Yep. Yeah, and I don't want to carry any more than three things. I used yeah. to lug like m- one man carry. Yeah. I used to look my roads. I didn't have a keyboard, so um, my old teacher from Alabama like sold me his Fender Rhodes. Uh-huh. It was in mint condition for like 150 bucks. Whoa, Ooh, dang! And I brought that up here, and that was what like I would take from gig to gig. I remember I did a few gigs at Wall Street with some band, and that's that place. It, I don't know if it's still there, but it was upstairs, and I used to lug that thing up there and then after the gig lug it to the apartment I was sharing mm-hmm. and lug that up the stairs yeah <laughs> I'm just like I used to lug it over to sportsman's mm-hmm. and I'm just like I, I I can't believe I used to do that all the time and, 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 but, <laughs> but I know why you did it and the reason why is because you, there's something where when you get hooked on a certain it's such a signature interaction and sound yeah. that to do anything else just feels like you're being robbed of who you are mm-hmm. and playing some vague facsimile of what your intention <laughs> is of this thing whatever it is that you're doing i can see especially like a fender roads being mm-hmm. like that where i mean that's it is it's a fender roads it's got to be and, uh, and i'm sorry like you can have the gre- the best nord whatever but you're not oh like, yeah you're not, not like feeling easy. vibrations and no, you know, it's not the same yeah and that tone can't get that tone yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it, so uh yeah i think about um that time and then how has how has things shifted for you um through you know because obviously you, you play with a lot of people and you do a lot of things and you're making a lot a lot happen obviously like this is your you know um your your thing so where did it get to the point where do you feel like that you kind of got to a point of like okay I'm, I'm fully sort of owning this in as professional a way or whatever you want to call it as possible there's something like a particular gig or a particular sort of experience or something where you because I, I feel like everybody has a moment where you're like oh this is just like I'm doing the work right now and that doesn't I'm not I don't mean that right. in a reductive way I just mean no, that no, like no. in a there's a gear shift that happens I think for people um f- well I was when I moved back here um when I left school I had to like stop playing like well I should say I wasn't playing regularly I I moved back to Alabama and I was having like sporadic gigs with like a a Latin band Latin jazz band there and um, for a brief period I was in like this blues band and we had a few rehearsals maybe one gig or something but I wasn't playing regularly I was just Mm -hmm. kind of like I was practicing still yeah um not like i was in college but i was just i don't know shedding yeah i was shedding but i just wasn't like 
out. I was just, it was, it had been relegated to like a, just a thing that I was, I guess hobby, but hobby is not the right word, but right. it, it wasn't well, like, yeah. I, hate the, word. I would assume there yeah. just wasn't as many opportunities, obviously, as yeah. you had when you were living in Nashville, there, right? There, yeah. were, there weren't. Um, but, uh, I, I, and it wasn't like there was a lot for me happening in Nashville other than school and like playing with my mm. friends after school mm-hmm. um, but so I was like I worked in the, like a music shop and then I was a security guard on third shift for a while and then got on a call center for direct TV for a couple of years and then we moved back up here and uh, I was at UPS working there like 3am to 10am mm-hmm. shift for a couple of years and then from like 07 to 2015, I was at a, um, a Medicare call center. Huh. And I was just like uh, doing that, coming home, hanging out, then shedding at night. Um, For the uninitiated, when, we, when musicians say shedding, uh, yeah, it's wood shedding. And yeah, it's sort of like just, working on your craft. Yeah, just practicing. Yeah. Um, at night and trying to um, just keep my foot in it and there were gigs here and there with Concurrence and Greg's band and some other stuff so at that time it became like this part time from an income standpoint it was like a part time mm-hmm. gig Yeah, uh, I was putting in full time hours practicing Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then like 09 is when my association with like the shakes the Alabama shakes begin mm. and I just on a random call from Andrea who runs bomb shelter to come be on this gig and I do the gig it was for their first record mm. uh, boys and girls and and just kept in touch with them because I found out that like the lead singer um she grew up on the street where I grew up and uh-huh. I remember seeing her yeah, from yeah. the neighborhood. Oh, wow, that's cool. And um, I knew her dad and I just, so I just kept in contact with all of them. They're all mm. from my hometown, so we had a lot to connect with. And then I got a call to um, be on their next record. And then after that, they said, you know, do you want to start coming out on the road with us? Mm. And um, I was still working full time at um, the Medicare place. That's a tough spot. Yeah, That's that a tough was, spot. and so that was like the point where I was like, um, I don't. I wanted to, but I was like, I don't think. I don't think I can. I don't think I can swing it right now because I we just had our um, second child, and Lana was like about to have the third, and so I was like, I, I'm. I think I'm gonna. Wow, hang out here. And that's then, a really. I, I kind of want to stay there for a minute because, like, that's a really tough spot that I, I think a lot of people find themselves in. Not, I mean, your your situation is quite unique in a lot of ways, but I guess I'm just saying that there is. You're, so you're working on your thing. You're working on your thing. Yeah. And it, what is this for, right? To sort of elevate or to you know to have a deeper musical involvement or whatever, uh, to sort of keep building on what you're doing and do it on a wider scale and and all that. And you get these opportunities, and then it becomes this sort of like a weird conundrum that you could, you know now it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you know it, it's, it was. It's, I imagine that was real tough. It was a it was a weird. I was like honored that they asked me. I was like. 
because I had never set foot in, you know, the rock world um, until I did those sessions. I wasn't like a st- studio guy here in Nashville. Got so um, if people call me, they call me specifically because they, um, you know, they whatever sound that I had, they wanted they wanted that sound. It wasn't like mm-hmm. they call me because I knew I could play anything could play that anything you, well, I mean, with, you could but you know what I'm saying yeah, yeah I just you're not a, I, you're I, not a utility I, yeah. I wasn't out there as like a, a utility player yeah um, studio I, I wish I wish I, I mean I you know I wish I probably it would have made sense for me to 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 do the um, the work to become that <laughs> right. I know what you're bringing the money yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. I just it did it's just not didn't it's, happen. It, it's natural to people or it's not because the people that I know yeah. and I'm sure it's the same for you like the people that I know that have excelled in that regard are just built for it like everything about their Amazing. personality they're they're just affable <laughs> they're, and easy going and they're not like temperamental and they're yeah. just like hey good but to like, see totally you like professional yeah <laughs> I'm way too sort of moody and into my own uh, trip to to work with people in that way uh, and people I think you're just like custom made yeah. uh, to do that and I think too I think when it comes to like an artist or a band for instance you know when when you're the when you know you're the kind of person they reach out to it's like and like it sounds like you guys just sort of got to know each other when 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 you got on the first album with them but like you know for me for instance it's like i want the guy who like does what they do that's what i look for in a musician i don't really i mean it's i mean obviously you know if you're just like cutting a record and it's like oh i can get this amazing guitar player who can just do anything okay that'll work but i would prefer like to be like you know the you're playing the drums on this record because because your drums are right for this record but that's what i mean that's that's all that's because you're an artist and you think like an artist yeah well there you go so but on the flip side (laughs) right right, but But i'm I'm looking to like collaborate with another creative person and that's really what we're talking about here yeah you know i guess i'm just thinking about like what what does that become right because if you're not the jack of all trades utility guy yeah then you're like when you're a specialist and in your tonality and your approach and and whatever yeah then you're the first thing to go temperament as as like things elevate and get more business or or whatever yeah like these these kind of uh you know people want their their you know vanilla strawberry chocolate <laughs> yeah. clear sort of things and when you're like a yeah you know uh you're- peanut butter salted whatever <laughs> you know, it's like this weird um you become the first the most expendable because the more boutique you are i've at least my experience has been like the the more just like you can't really bank on being there yeah okay. where the other thing can just be like this can i can fit into all these different slots at any time you know right. what i mean don't be discouraged though people <laughs> no 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 yeah, this that, is, i mean this is the, we're we're on the dark side but it's a good place to be <laughs> yeah that, i mean the, the gift to be able to to fit into any situation is one that is like on my list of things that I'm trying to get better at. Like I, um, just, just out of my desire to be a more well-rounded musician. Like I want to be able to, someone calls me regardless of the situation. Like I come in and bam, you know, I, I do what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. You want bossa nova? Um, I got bossa nova. I mean, (laughs) I mean like for real, for real, like that's, that's the ultimate goal. So, um, you know, I wasn't. Um, I was like a little ill-equipped for that, in my in my opinion. Mm. So I wasn't messing around with that. So um, that was the other thing that I was. Re- you know, I wasn't sure that I would do the music service because I hadn't really dipped my toe mm. in that. And 
and they were like um why don't you think about it mm-hmm. okay and I was like, okay. So when you, I said talked that, to, you said, I can't, I, I don't think I can go on the road right now. And they yeah, said, you think yeah, about it, this discussion is right, not over, right? right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and also, I, too, really quick, let me interrupt and just <laughs> double check me here. But like for our, our listeners, just to make sure they understand everything, that first album that you played on ends up winning Grammy Awards. Am I right? Uh, nominated for. Nominated for, okay. Um, but wait, they, I mean, still, I mean, yeah, it was a big yeah, record. Oh, yeah. It was and just, very successful, very critically yeah, praised. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, they, like, they were getting stuff from that record in movies and yeah. commercials and stuff. And um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, I talked it over with Lana and Lana, uh, my wife, she was like, I, I think you should probably do it. And I was like, <laughs> I was still like, nah, I don't know. I don't, I don't. And then eventually I came around, I was like, um, they, I took my, so I said, well, I can do these, these dates. And and they'll say, okay, we'll just come out and do these, and you know, if something comes up, we'll see what we can do. So I used all my vacation time and my PTO uh, time. Uh, wow! And um, Lana was due like May twenty. Uh, Man, this is hectic. I'm stressed out listening oh, to this right now. Yeah, because <laughs> that was the only thing. Yeah. Like the dates that were lining up with her due date. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, so she was like due. I'm probably gonna get this wrong, but I want to say like the twenty fifth, twenty fourth. And I was scheduled to get <laughs> back on like the twenty, the twentieth or oh, the nineteenth, something right. like that. Probably, hopefully, soon enough. Yeah. but you don't know. Yeah, and this <laughs> yeah. is third child, and the, you know, the, uh, the second and third and uh, following children, uh, the delivery is quicker. Mm-hmm. So once you know delivery is happening, like it's it's on so <laughs> I, I it couldn't be like a thing where i'm going into labor and i can fly from where i am and be there within 24 hours or something if she went to labor she was probably going to have the kid like a few hours yeah. yeah like it so uh vacation time it'd be rude for you to ask her for her to wait <laughs> <laughs> very rude so so um, and this was also like my first time I had gone on the road with like smaller groups like Derek Phillips had a, a trio with a, a great guitarist named Adam Agati uh, called Manufactory and we did like a couple of brief <laughs> That's cool name. brief runs um, uh, and you know done some stuff with concurrence out of town but that was my first experience on like a tour bus and going from city to city and and, and doing something like that and then like I got back on like the 19th I think 17th 19th and he came on like the 21st oh good so um came on the 21st and uh you know that was a wrap and then they're like well we got some one-offs here here and here you'll need to fly out on like Friday we do the hit Saturday and then you fly out on Sunday so I used up all my vacation time mm-hmm. for those two, three weeks. Um, so I, basically what I did is um, through uh, the FMLA law, um, I was able to, um, you know, spend time with my children and then you know spend time with my children and then for just a couple hours or a couple hours but just like fly boom come Mm -hmm. back spend yeah time with my children so i'm still adhering to the fmla Mm. absolutely requirements yes and i'm doing that every month all the way 
till uh december like wow. and, and there's all these amazing gigs like austin city limits and festivals mm-hmm. and then finally like uh do some recording on the new record and then like beginning of 2015 like um we need you to come out like full time for all of these dates mm-hmm. it's like i don't know hundred hundreds of dates mm-hmm. and so then that was like that was the that was the big decision there like to leave because i had been working at the call center right doing all these shows <laughs> you thought that you, this initial conflict was stressful and then you got <laughs> and, met with like yeah. a volcano of stress and about just, it it's, it's so ironic though right this is what everybody wants right yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly Crazy. so we did it and uh jumped off the cliff and i've um been <clears throat> doing it full time since then yeah and it's, i jumped off the cliff and, <laughs> and now i'm almost to senior management <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's but, awesome. um, but yeah I, I, get, I get three weeks a year now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah i'm i'm just grateful that i've had the opportunity to to tour them and um you know spend instead of spend spending like 40 hours of my week on the phone having people yell at me and deal with you know government bureaucracy with people's medication etc cetera, etc cetera. i was yeah. able that 40 hours went to making music it's amazing <clears throat> so um that was a big change one thing that i don't me. know if i don't know how much people you know who don't do creative work know about this but like i think a lot of times the you know the image of like the 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 like sort of lackadaisical like lazy navel gazing artist thing or whatever i think that happens because honestly to be creative you really do need like the mental and physical space to just be able to be in the mode of being creative even if you're not in a place of actually doing anything at this moment you just oh, yeah. need that buffer of just like being able to focus and be calm and and so that you can be creative yeah. you know what i mean so like what what was that like once you had that once you made that jump and all of a sudden it's like okay now music's your priority right and that's it like what how did you decompress like what was that experience like um it was like coming off of tour and just i still wanted to like touch base with like the fundamentals of stuff that I've been working on for mm-hmm. uh, just a piano standpoint. But um yeah, any any time I would come off the road, I would like take a few days to like decompress and make the connection with my family because I hadn't seen them in right. 3 weeks sometimes. Um and I I found I tried to find a balance where I know I'm going to be on the road and have access to instruments on the road. Um, after sound check, before sound check, find a, a room here where I can do stuff. Hotel room, I can do stuff. So I kind of made the road time like where the heavy practice time mm-hmm. happens. And um, anywhere we stopped, you know, once the gear was set up, I would try to go out there, mm-hmm. warm up. If there was a place where we were playing that had like pianos and practice rooms you know if it was opera house or whatever i just where's the piano at yeah i'm at the piano i'm trying to work on voicings one day or and just all the time when i come home 
I'm connecting more with the family and balancing out the practice time in like smaller um like 20 minutes here yeah um 40 minutes here mm-hmm. that everyone is asleep or I get up before everyone mm-hmm. has awakened and try to do little so when you say just to get a little technical for a second when you say uh working on voicings to the pedestrian sort of person <laughs> that's not a musician what what do you mean um, I mean, like, do you hear? Do you portal. hear voicings? Are you hearing voicings I'm hearing right now? Voicings right now, all the time. Play, play more. <laughs> um, just working on chordal stuff and harmony. Right. And so, like, when piano. you when you're playing uh, a D chord, there's there's more than one way to do that. That brings oh, yeah. up all these different sorts of moods right. and sounds and colors that right. that you're gonna as a piano player like that's right. that's your bread and butter exactly okay yeah. so like I don't, I don't want I want to interrupt everything for a second because yeah. we got this new little wrinkle where we've got uh, people that have called in and left uh, oh. voicemails <laughs> okay yeah this is the first time we've ever done this yeah and, uh, <laughs> and I gotta say it's, we're glad to have you here with I, us I don't know why we, we need, didn't do we this we might need help <laughs> I don't know why we didn't do this a long time ago because it's really just sort of a form of entertainment because mm. like several of them are just people just doing ridiculous things things uh-huh. um, so like it's entertaining crank, like cranking are they cranking on us <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't I can, you know so cranking and I have a, a great so there's a question um, from uh, some you know young man here by the name of Jeff Coffin had a question Uh-oh. for you oh uh, here we go um, <laughs> and uh, so I'm going to play that now and then hopefully it's where people can actually hear it and that this doesn't seem ridiculous but here we go hi this is for Paul Horton hey this is Jeff Coffin Paul Okay, I'm curious as to what your favorite voicing is for an altered dominant chord. <laughs> That's right. We're geeking out here. Favorite piano oh, wow. voicing for an altered dominant chord. Um, All right. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Coffin. Um, Shout out to Jeff Coffin. I, I, like a, I like a good C altered chord. Got... <laughs> C in the bass, then E, uh, like a A flat, B flat, E flat, <laughs> some, something like that. I think that that's to everyone else. I think that means fuchsia, <laughs> but I'm not really sure. <laughs> but 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 you know, hey, listen, uh, Jeff wanted answers. He got answers. Yeah, I know those four those four note chords are that's beyond my so my, it's beyond my that education. Aren't just like deep into music. Like when you're playing a chord, you're playing you're playing a series of notes all at the same time, and then by changing various notes in that chord you can just yeah like sort of what you were sort of saying uh, Joe where, like, where I think just, I did a better job of okay, explaining well, anyway, it right? all right, I'm not going to explain <laughs> it so anyway so now that we're on to this, uh, this question thing I think we'll just knock some of these out real quick because this is really, <laughs> we're do more than this is really entertaining <laughs> so uh, the next one comes uh, from uh, um, one uh, artist you may also know uh, this is uh, do you know Black Cat Sylvester yeah <laughs> so here's <laughs> um, I won't, I'm not going to say his real name, uh, but here's uh, and he left three questions. Wow! Um, <laughs> so we're just going to go with the first one and see. All right, here we go. So when people come up to you and they ask, "Hey, how do you write this stuff? How do you? Uh, what's your process?" And my re- response is generally, "I don't know. It just happens. What is that? Is it me really writing the music, or is it something else?" So there you go. What do you think about that? Um, Extraterrestrials, <laughs> yeah, reptilians. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes um, 
Um, writing stuff is, I mean, sometimes you do inspiration does strike and the stuff just comes pouring out. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe that is ET or yeah, um, I think the it, alien yeah. from Aliens. What is the origin? So some would say the, the <laughs> creator. What happens, what happens other times? What, what happens when the inspiration isn't there? And you do you still try to make stuff? And if you are, where's that coming from? Um, I do try. Um, there's a great bass player in town named Jonathan Wires, and Jonathan. Um, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he was like trying to write something every day, whether or not he was um, inspired to, quote unquote, inspired to or not. But right. Um, so yeah, if even if I'm not feeling it, I will make an attempt. Um, and then if I, you know, if I have something, then you put it away and you can check it out. Or I start on something, and if I'm not connecting with it anyway, then that's not for me today. Mm-hmm. And but, but be, I, that, I that might be like the seed of an idea, and that'll be you know filed away and however right. you might do that right. uh, like I like to record stuff on my phone a lot and it's just oh, yeah. sitting there and then at oh. some point it's like oh, I'm going to have some time to work on some stuff I'm just going to go through this weird oh, yeah. shit I recorded on my phone it's like that was a good idea oh, I'm going to work on that I recorded something <laughs> in Aldi's yesterday evening <laughs> I was just singing I know people were looking at me because I'm not the greatest singer in the world Yeah, um, I'm second greatest singer in the world no but it was you know you get looks but if I'm, you know, I have this tool that allow me to record yeah, anytime, I'm going to use it. I'm if, like a car singer. I do a lot of like, I'm in my car. I think it's stuff in my car too, unfortunately. Like you're driving around yeah. and you can't do anything about it. So you just got to like keep singing it or keep repeating it in your head. And then you get stopped and it's like, you better record it. Or like, I like, I would like write a lot of stuff with words, right? So it's like a lot yeah. of times it's like, if it's a song thing, a lot of times it might be like a lyric. And it's like, I got to write it down because as we know, if you don't, then you just oh, lose yeah. it every fucking time. Every time. Like every Robert time. Johnson did not have this problem. <laughs> Robert, no. But he definitely had something speaking <laughs> through him. That was Imagine if Robert Johnson sure. had access to like multi-track yeah. audio oh, and like reverb tanks. I wish. Oh, man. What if Robert Johnson made a, a dub the reverb record? Tanks. What if he just made a dub record? Oh, that had been badass. Right, I think he actually just. I think that's kind of what he did, just in its most distilled form. Mm-hmm. So, um, but like, what if he could have like lived long enough to work with like Scratch? Yeah, <laughs> that would have been unbelievable. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Thanks, uh, Black Cat. By the way, shout out to Black Cat. He just put out a new EP. Oh yeah, um, I listened to it yesterday. Yeah. Black Cat. Nice. Tell well the list, done, Tell people who he is, like people who don't know. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to say anything. People have to go find out. Black Hat Sylvester. Black Hat Sylvester. Um, there's a lot of... He, he's shrouded in mystery, and I'm not going to be the one to try to attempt to unpack or, or okay. diffuse all that mm-hmm. because I, you know I'm not even really licensed to talk about it. Okay. Uh, so to go find Black Hat Sylvester. I did actually work on one of the music videos for... Um, the last record? For this this new record, oh, okay. um, it was a really fun day of shooting. We were out in Bell's Bend. Yeah, and you showed me that it, stuff a while was like, back. Yeah, and it was like ninety nine degrees. It was like one of those days where it's ninety nine degrees yeah. at ten in the morning, and yeah. you, you thought you were sort of beating the yeah. the heat. And then it's the south. And man. then we shot, you know, the stuff. And then you know, he's wearing a suit, oh, and, yeah. you know, all this. And then we <laughs> and then we get back in the van. You know, we have this whole van full of all this equipment and people and stuff. And and we we're getting out of there like oh my god like we're all just dying we'd only been out there for you know a couple of hours and did everything really fast and we're just like dying and then as we're sort of just catching our breath from the whole panic of sort of being in that oven out there 
we looked down and there's like ticks everywhere. Ooh. Oh. Like we had picked up like all these. T- they were just walking across the interior of the car. Oh, and all these different no. Shit. Wow. Yeah. So, um, that was really fun. Everybody so go check out the video. Yeah, immediately had to strip <laughs> down and, and check each other's uh, yeah. groins for yeah, ticks. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. In, in the tight spots there. But uh, no, so um, so that was uh, good to hear from you, uh, Black Hat, and and we we love you, and and your record is is really damn good. Should we take a second here right now just to tell people how to call in and ask a question? Um, no. Okay. No. So we're just gonna get. <laughs> You, you just follow us, find us, uh, go to the Art Fight Podcast Twitter, and you'll see some something. You don't know somewhere. the number off the top of your head. Six one five two four nine eight two five zero. Yeah, that's all I'm asking. Yeah, so I, I, I just I felt nervous about remembering it, but, but it, yeah, it, it call came that to number me. and, and came to me. Leave us, leave us a weird anything, yeah. but especially questions because yes. that's really what we're looking for. It is, but can I just play something real quick? This is what Georgia left us. I thought it was Aaron Neville. You feeling that? Yep. <laughs> so uh, there's, I mean, there's more, but uh, thank you, Georgia, for that. Um, she, fr- we've mentioned Georgia a number of times. Yeah, yeah. She's sort of a friend of the show. She also sent um, kind of a redux of uh, very uh, recently. She just so she works for an unnamed medical entity mm-hmm. and she recently did a um a viagra voiceover commercial is that real it's real wow. and it's on like the radio or whatever and so georgia having this particular styled voice and everything i just thought this that's is that's amazing and so she sent um do you want me to pull it up she she i, I can mean, hear it like an actually hear the commercial well here's the thing she did a, a special version just for us on our voicemail okay yeah this um, is in that. and she just kind of uh white labeled the the phone number and such so here's here's georgia's uh quick viagra uh, commercial hey guys let's talk about viagra did you know we have viagra at five dollars a pill that's right five dollars a pill and see a doctor from the comfort of your own couch don't even leave the house <laughs> Give us a call at 999-999-9999. Wow. We'll talk to you then. Let's get it rolling. <laughs> Let's get it rolling. Let's get like, it what are rolling. we selling here? Let's get it rolling. <laughs> Let's get it rolling. There's just nine, something nine, about... 999-9999. <laughs> There's something about just the, the natively angelic quality of her as a person and yeah. her voice no, combined with funny. just the absolute filth of a, a Viagra ad. Like yeah. just the advertising and the, the nature of whatever Viagra yeah. is and all these things. Like it's just, uh, it's just quite a But I also yeah. love her life. Just like she's pushing like the whisperiness just enough to if you know what her real voice sounds like yeah, it's yeah. like the whispery Georgia yeah, yeah. Sonia Viagra is very, something else it's very alluring <laughs> I love it yeah it just you know it made me want to go spend five dollars that's great uh, so <laughs> win win uh, but anyway thank you for, so yes the point is like we're you know this this getting calls thing is is, uh, is interesting but I've got some more actual like real uh, questions and this is one that I came in from an unknown caller that is from somewhere in California and uh here we go you ready let's do it hey guys i had a question about when was the first time that you realized that you felt the need to be creative and that was your purpose in life thanks all right so paul and that caller didn't leave a name, but if that caller mm-hmm. wants to like shout us out on Twitter or something, we'd love to give you credit and yeah. thank you for calling in. Yeah. So, was there what, what was the day and time? 
uh, the day and time. <laughs> it's in my uh, it's in my dream journal. Yeah. I don't have to <laughs> my regular journal. Actually, dream journal is different. Um, you got a lot of journals. <laughs> I don't know the exact time, but it was definitely when I was uh, about either fifteen or sixteen. I want to say sixteen. Um, um, and I just uh, I had my license. I was going to a jam session in Huntsville, which was about 23 minutes away from Athens. And um, it was it was just a common uh, several different things that year of me getting my license and going to the jam session. Sometimes uh, the great, the legendary guitarist Spanky Alford, who uh, appeared on like Tribe Called Quest records, and he's all over Voodoo, um, D'Angelo's Voodoo, and um, some Roots records. Mm-hmm. He lived in the North Alabama area, Hunt- Huntsville or Decatur, I can't remember. But um, he would pop up at jam sessions, and seeing him um, do that quartet guitar stuff right um, in in you know one of the handful of people who did it like he did it. Mm-hmm. That was like that kind of like clicked something seeing having that experience of seeing that and then also um uh, there was this trumpet player named ken waters north alabama and he used to have a quartet and uh ken had gone on to he had come moved back to alabama after studying at the manhattan school of music and so he was playing like you know modern improvised music and that was something and then fully around that same time fully um uh checking out the enormity of um a record collection that a neighbor had a close family uh friend um he had like hundreds of records and before i was 16 you know i would ride my bike over and we would listen to records while uh he was cooking dinner or his wife was cooking dinner um but when i was 16 i would drive over there and I discovered more records in the back, and there was just like hours of just while he and his wife and his daughter were living their life in the house. I was in the living room, strange, yeah, yeah, like just listening to re- to their world. records, yeah, yeah. And there's that that year was one of those. Were there certain years. certain records that he had that you still think of as like sort of standouts that kind of um, hit you over the head at that time? He was a huge Miles fan, mm-hmm. so he had. Like he literally, almost every record from like 1958 until, um, uh, the record, um, I'm forgetting the name. Agartha, Agartha was like right before he he dipped out in the 70s. Before he dipped out, he had Agartha, and then he missed the. He didn't get. um, I think that was the last one he had, and then uh, he bought hip uh do do what do what i remember and i think yeah. that was the last miles record he bought but everything before gartha yeah he pretty much had almost mm. everything and that's honestly the like that's <laughs> the ultimate toolkit oh, for yeah. understanding a yeah. whole lot of things yeah i mean and he also had tons of art blakey and tons of uh, yeah. blue note Riverside. He just had he had everybody. I had, just, I had an insane uh, early stage, uh, and maybe this is you know what this. I'll just consider this my moment. I took a lot of mushrooms when I was a teenager. 
uh, and a, a guy that was an older uh, sort of friend of ours or whatever that like had his own place. You know, you always had like the first couple people you knew that like, wow, they got their own place and we can hang out there and we can do whatever. But anyway, we took a bunch of mushrooms and he just sat us down and played Pangea, which is, right. so when you're talking about the Miles record of Garta and then Pangea, those records, just for reference, were both recorded on the same day in 1975 in Osaka, Japan. And Pangea, I believe, is the matinee and then Agarta's the night set, or I might have it backwards, I can't remember. But anyway, the point is, it's really like um, psychedelic, deep funk, African fucking beautiful harsh railing kind of stuff I mean I don't know it's it's some of the deepest anyway this guy just sat us down and said listen to Pangea and just that first side is like I it was almost like my like folds in my brain just started to like open up I mean and it wasn't necessarily I mean obviously I was uh, on hallucinogenic drugs (laughs) but I mean I'm just telling you like I can still I can listen to it now for the 15,000th time and still uh, fully be in awe of its dimensionality and its performative qualities and just the the depth of it it's so powerful yeah. it is it was like being clubbed over the head so that was a thing cool. yeah so so you basically had a neighbor that had the, the collection yeah yeah he was a yeah he he moved from new york he had studied a, he had a very interesting life but at one point he had, was studying composition in nyc but he re- later on years later after different um jobs and careers he retired moved to alabama my grandfather he told my grandfather you should come down here get out of the city and he came down with my mom my mom met my dad and that's how i ended up in north alabama but Mm. um yeah it was like it was just weird to be in like this uh it was like an oasis in this small town like my mom she had a an awesome record collection too like her and my dad she had blue note records and also she had motown of course my dad had motown and um she also had some Jimi hendrix stuff that i didn't know she was into that i found when i was like 16 that same year that's great and so she was just like into she was also really big into like afro-cuban music so she had some of some of uh that stuff and so it was just like it was you know but still there's like a point though where like it's sort of to the the sort of uh caller's point or whatever you know where you you a lot of people listen to stuff that blew their mind but there's a point where you turn to make a decision on some level that yeah. like i'm going to also contribute to this conversation somehow yeah. in the universe yeah that year i just yeah. started practicing like more just teaching you know learning from records my mom had she used to drive me to muscle shows to take on uh, like um improvisational theory with this pianist over there and muscle shows for a little bit when i was 14 to 15 but by 16 that's a good start i was just like picking stuff out of my ear and just trying to and my neighbor because he studied composition he would show me stuff about you know uh writing and so that's kind of where that that kicked off and i just kept just kept going from there So um, we'll do one more of these. And uh, so these questions, this one uh, is like 10 questions and some of them are rapid fire. So we'll just pick one, but we should listen to the message because it's kind of funny. All right, here we go. Why would anyone pay $450 million 
for a disputed Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> All right, so there's more to this, but that's the, that's the first option. We we take that one and pass. Joe, I think you ha- you have to have an opinion on this real quick. Why would anyone pay four hundred fifty thousand dollars for a disputed Leonardo da Vinci? I I don't know why they would. Why would you? All right, I agree so, with our caller. Yeah. All right, we'll do. <laughs> all right, we'll do. We'll just call this like the rapid fire. All right. What are the qualities you look for in a good piano? Okay, that's for you, man. Um, <laughs> uh, tone, uh, the action, the response. You know, um, I don't know what the word is. I call it a bounce. If it's got like this bounce when I'm playing this, then that I'm I'm really into that. I think I it's weird. Know. I think I know what you're talking about only from the perspective of drums because there's something where there's a lot of drums that seem real nice, but you you just you strike them and it just feels like you're playing the head in space. It doesn't feel like it's got this connective reverberating quality or something's resonation with something and there's other things that look like garbage but you just hit them and it just flows so maybe yeah. that's like similarly like percussive yeah. instrument type of quality where you just want to mm-hmm. feel like it kind of give a little bit away and then bring it back at, it, with each press or something I don't know mm. alright we'll hit the next one this is going to get really interesting what quality do you appreciate the most in other musicians Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I know who this is, and this is one of my oldest, dearest friends uh, out <laughs> in San Francisco. Is it somebody who's been on our show? But I, I can't. Oh, I can't. in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. I know who it is. N- no. Do I? No, oh, I don't. No, I'm no. thinking of somebody else on the West Coast. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> um, I like a musician that um, has a, like an imagination. Like you can, mm. uh, you can tell that they're that they're an imaginative person based on the way they play. I like humility too in a in a musician. Um, and would you say those are before sort of what do you want to call it like chops or whatever? Um, before before like like in terms of rank order like oh uh, yeah yeah like it's yeah. You, I guess my question would follow up would be like okay do, do, would you rather play with somebody that just is rich with imagination and maybe they're not like the greatest player but they know how to sort of uh, write a lot of stories or whatever it is that they're doing oh yeah yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So, um, well, I'm your guy. We'll talk. No, I'm just <laughs> so, uh, let me play another one here. And this, I can't remember. There's a bunch of these. Hold on. What is your favorite pastime? <laughs> <laughs> this could be like a three-word answer. Um, I don't know. Um, baking? Yeah. Just say baking. Baking. Okay, good. <laughs> Next. <laughs> What is the chief difference between playing a piano and playing digital keyboards? <laughs> um, yeah, di- uh, digital keyboards don't have a personality. Mm. That I just. Do you feel anything from like a synth, like analog synth versus? I, I don't. Per- yeah. I, I, not like it's the same way I do with like a Rhodes or a piano like because there's physical feedback happening yeah I don't yeah. I don't know why I just that it but um I love digital stuff obviously I love yeah. digital keyboards but I'm not gonna say that like this Moog synthesizer had this one has like a personality for me that's yeah. like this is the one I want in my coffin with me you know <laughs> mm. 
Uh, so, all right, next. I do want my roads in my coffee. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's going to be a heavy one. All right. <laughs> yeah. By the way, when you were, talk- when you were talking, telling your story about schlepping the roads around, I was remembering uh, when I used to live in Seattle just for a couple of years in like 96 to 98 time. And in that time, it was very fertile there. There's a lot of stuff going on. But I just remember going out to see um, Wayne Horvitz all the time. And he would always have a B3 mm-hmm. at every mm-hmm. gig. Wow. I mean, he had it down to like a system, but it was still a, a B3. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Good Lord. So that's like carrying a refrigerator around with you everywhere you go. It always yeah. made me feel like he would just keep all the straps on it. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, it was already in, you know, it was road ready. But anyway, all right, the next one. Why do people play bass pedals? <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> it's um, one of the great mysteries. <laughs> what is the impact of Ornette Coleman? <laughs> Wait, wait, broadly, wait, wait, wait. just broadly. What is it? Do Ornette Coleman's interpreters do a better job of presenting his ideas than he himself does? That's actually an interesting question. I'm did, gonna, did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I say no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ornette did the best job of presenting his ideas. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that's. I just thought it was an interesting question in the sense that just to think of. Uh, the how ideas can have different levels of sort of proximity or ownership or governance just as a theoretical principle yeah. it's just an interesting let's pound through this hold on let's see what we also got chicken or fish chicken or fish um fish all right next <laughs> <laughs> if you are not yourself who would you be <laughs> Ornette Coleman. Wow. That's a hard one. I I don't know. All right. Next. What is more musical, an expert baker or a master painter at work? (laughs) Expert baker. (laughs) To be clear, it said master baker, just to be clear. I want to make sure we're very clear on that. So, all right. And I'm going to hit one more. And this one's like um, a little bit sort of uh, more about the music industry, which, you know, we all have an opinion on, I suppose. And so it's relevant. Uh, But it touches on a lot of things. But I feel like that more the latter part of it is the thing to catch it. Okay. I got another one for you, Brian. That's me. You know who it is. That's hard to miss me. Here's what I want to fight about. She wants to fight. Why is it? that the hip-hop community is often chastised and alienated creatively from the rest of the entertainment industry. So this goes on for a bit, but I kind of just want to hit that. What do you think? That's a deep... That's a whole other podcast, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's... It's so strange, too, because especially today everybody is borrowing from hip-hop to um to do their thing it's like even yeah. in country music i was gonna say even like the the most non-hip-hop yeah. thing in the world is has become more and more hip-hop every year yeah i mean it probably has something to do with not probably it's white supremacy <laughs> like it's it's just ingrained into everything but it, but it kind of comes up <laughs> in these weird it's kind of um I mean, I would, I did, this is a kind of weird example of it, but I just remember growing up and see, like when people were starting to get cars and stuff, I was 16 years old and 
that's like when people started to back then we didn't have social media to express yeah. ourselves we just had our cars that was our cars and then like whatever bumper stickers you had or whatever window stickers mm -hmm. that was your whole that was your whole myspace page on wheels or whatever but anyway i just remember seeing back then um like all these guys that i knew were straight up like pretty racist you know people like because uh, they're like there's this weird thing like um where like white people will sort of that are racist will just kind of be like hey you know they'll say something right and then kind of like check you like kind of like <laughs> you know and just kind of see right. how you respond as another white person mm -hmm. and then if, if you don't like give it right back at them or double down on whatever thing they were saying then it's weird like they've kind of checked you off right. in this weird way um, but I just remember a lot of those kind of guys all of a sudden it was like you guys are all listening to Public Enemy yeah. and and like you know doing all this with your trucks and the and like falling in love with bass and sample based music essentially and and that is drawing on james brown and militant uh sort of sentiments and all this you know angry stuff like real and, and, and by the way just side note whatever the tonality was at the time in 1986 or whatever it was when public enemy hit it was like that whole sort of louder than a bomb feel i mean it was I, I'm not even I wasn't close to that necessarily but I mean I just remember hearing that and it was the way that people talk about like the first time I heard Elvis or the first time I heard yeah. James Brown or the first time that I heard uh, mm -hmm. Nirvana or whatever like that was like like I get chills just thinking about it now like some of that stuff's a little it feels like sometimes a little hokey in points but some of it's still really good but anyway oh, I but, feel mostly good yeah yeah um, yeah definitely yeah, yeah but uh but anyway so I just what I just as sort of texture to that I just wanted to throw that in there because it just seems like a weird uh like I guess what I'm saying is like the 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 layers of appropriation tied to mm i don't know i don't want to call it like sort of guilt or i don't know what it, it's like a, there's some weird relationship with the white self that is sorting itself out and it has these weird pendulum swings and and mixtures and i feel like that now we're just seeing like the widest of that when you talk about like like whatever like bro culture um country music uh that is essentially like borrowing from every cadence and rhythmic and stylistic hip-hop yeah. influence possible but it's not like who are we fooling or you know I mean, this is not an indictment on all and and whatever but i'm right. just saying it just it seems a little weird like a wide pendulum swing yeah yeah it's um yeah it's 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 just an it's an issue and i'm not sure how um i'm not sure how it's gonna get fixed I don't know if it can get fixed. Um, do you yeah. think, I mean, do you think ultimately that on some level, I mean, you know, like there's things about how, you know, like America before rock and roll and America after rock and roll and everything like the Beatles are playing in the South and they're demanding that they won't let the audience be segregated and things like that have happened. And, do you think ultimately that music does play a positive role and can help it, uh, can help, you know, this cultural conversation and all of the cultural conversation? Uh, do you really feel like that's actually a real thing? I would like to think it is. Yeah, I, th I think it is. Yeah. And at the same time, though, what, what our, the caller is pretty much asking about is more about like the way the industry works and yeah. what the, the money and the spotlight will recognize as being important or whatever. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I, in terms because she was also saying how like they'll get they'll get dinged for stuff that other mm-hmm. other people don't get dinged for. Which is a universal theme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a running uh, situation. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. That's I guess if we solve um, racism, then we'll solve that problem as far as the industry. Great. So, we, so at least we know what to do now. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to solve American weight, uh, racism. Mm. Um, yeah. But I think, like you say, but, like there's this systemic quality to it. And I feel like it's like a lot of it comes down to like, to like capitalism, you know what I mean? And, and classism and all this stuff. And it's like the racism's in there to yeah. keep that shit going. You yeah. know what I mean? Because just creating all this commotion and tension between people who should be uniting, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's in their best interest to be, to be, a one community. Oh yeah, you know what I uh, mean. Yeah, yeah. A diverse music scene is a better music scene, mm-hmm. and um, um, having <clears throat> having them having everybody work together to improve it is the way to go. I I've mentioned this before. I'm trying not to to keep going on about it but something that's been getting into my brain lately has been about um the way uh, i-40 cut through jefferson street and yeah. how that affected the scene here mm-hmm. um and i i hope to do something with that in like some sort of bigger project where concurrence um like in like digs into that and um hopefully i can figure out how to present it but um a lot of times I think about what could have been in Nashville if 40 had gone mm-hmm. a different route. Right. And so if can I can... You, can you take just a second to explain a little bit to listeners who don't live here who might not understand like well, how what what that community has always been historically and, and, and how that really you know destroyed the culture of that place? Well, um, the I guess they... Abbrevi- I know it's a lot to explain. Yeah. Well, the abbreviated <laughs> thing is Jefferson Street was like this black cultural center of of nashville mm-hmm. as far as music goes and um concurrence did it and i'm learning stuff about it not mm-hmm. being a, a native nashvillian uh, all the time we did a show at the black box uh th- theater and before we went on greg uh the bass player and the co-leader of concurrence interviewed and i'm forgetting his name but he was a side man um mm. during uh jefferson street's heyday mm-hmm. and he was talking about how there were so many different spots to play in like here like ray charles and and um and uh jimmy hendrix Jim, before he was yeah, known as yeah, jimmy hendrix jimmy right? hendrix and even like cannibal and mm-hmm. j- jazz groups were coming through here mm-hmm. and the way he talked um he was like it was just a, like really alive it wasn't like one or two or three clubs it was like several mm-hmm. it was basically like a, like a thing Beale like Street a, or yeah, yeah. It, it was a, a real place yeah. that was mm-hmm. a destination yeah. and a lock a locked in sort of um, burgeoning exciting like anybody that came through town like right. that's where people would sweep through and sit in and, and yeah. all that mm-hmm. yeah and um, this is and this is all stuff that I like literally in the, I'm only now digging into this in the last few years um talking with just like Greg and a, a dear f- a friend Reagan Mitchell who um he's Dr. Mitchell now but um uh just you know me personally just never digging into the local Nashville history 
but learning that you know i40 uh, came and cut through that community um and also articles by the nashville scene talking about yeah uh, North Nashville mm-hmm. and uh, I, and there was another article by uh, a journalist I forget her name also but she did an article several years ago about the origins of hot chicken and that also came into play with I-40 cutting through and affecting the community mm-hmm. so that happened and then the Jefferson Street's music um, the activity that was happening there just died when they put that interstate through um, so in my mind um, I, I like to think that in you know an alternate universe that didn't happen. I forty went a different direction, and that place was allowed to thrive. And uh, Music City is like in that alternate universe. Music City really is Music City. Like it's mm-hmm. diverse, and um, country music isn't the only thing that yeah. Is uh, the it would dominant? Have, it would. Have, it would have led to an entirely different evolution of it. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I sometimes, and the thing that I was that pops into my head is how like the communities, like, um, you know, uh, like the L.A. beat scene where like Stones Throw and Flying Lotus, yeah, and they all had plays. There was spots where they could come together and work on music, like Low End Theory, which shut down last year after several years and then you think about um minton's playhouse in harlem mm-hmm. for bebop or just 52nd street in general oh yeah and just um you know muscle shows stacks all these different uh even trap music in atlanta and i've, I've mentioned this on um i did i did a, a interview a, a few weeks ago and i mentioned this but like even trap music in atlanta like there is a place for it to like uh, percolate and yeah. develop, and um, there, but, and all those things like changed the music in the country. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. they, trap music is everywhere now. The beat scene that was happening in Los Angeles with Flying Lotus and um, and uh, what Stone Throw was doing that changed, you know, hip hop and production and everything too so yeah um and of course the bronx and hip-hop that that's a whole nother so what could have happened if that hadn't happened right it's it's, it's clearly very deliberate right so i mean you're you're putting in an interstate you're looking at right of way what communities do you care about what communities do you not have a prevalent care for and and which communities can rally themselves and have the resources to sort of protect themselves from this and which communities don't you know what i mean and even if they did like who's you know it's just about open ears but yeah i mean so uh, clearly, like in Birmingham, it had the same. Uh, you know, like if you ever been much around Birmingham, like there's a. Uh, yeah, I forget what the neighborhood bit. is, but there's like a whole, like where they, there's a neighborhood uh, that's just it's called Nor Norwalk or Nor Nor. Ah, uh, Norwood. Mm-hmm. So basically, <laughs> it is like uh, this. It was a very prominent upscale minority community. Mm-hmm with these beautiful six, seven bedroom, gigantic, unique, kind of like mansions, basically, mm-hmm. with a beautifully sculpted neighborhood layout and just everything, massive neighborhood. And they just brought the highway right through there. And then now you're seeing it, like it's just, it's completely, it's like a ghost town. And there's a few people trying to rebuild it. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm probably 
painting a little bit darker of a picture, but I mean, it's mostly dilapidated, gigantic, beautiful houses that you don't understand how in the world this would happen. And it really is like a tourniquet, essentially, on a culture. Mm-hmm. And and whatever is be on the other side of that tourniquet is is destined to get essentially uh, removed. Mm-hmm. And it does it, it it changes the entire sort of harmonic reaction of a place and its people. And and then that, like you said, sort of you know that then has these repercussions about around the broader culture. Right. Uh, and it really is like a. Um, there's so many things like that where it's like you just don't realize how bad it is like what the impacts are it takes 50 years to see like how deep it runs yeah i'd I'd like to the the next few years i'd like to figure out how to um uh contribute in some way in providing like more diverse like trying to figure out how uh especially concurrence can have a part in uh helping bring something to like the north nashville area that uh can reignite the uh there's something already happening with like the art the like the visual artists in north studios and that whole movement so if there can be something concurrent Mm -hmm. with that in the music are you connected to those fellas i'm not those ladies up there too i i not yet i'd love to i know a bunch of people in that world if you want me to like connect you with some folks i'd love to because there definitely is i mean in the visual art world up there there's there's quite a bit going oh yeah and and for people people who don't live in nashville again it's like part of the reason that 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 whole neighborhood has the the north nashville neighborhood has the history that it has is because they're then one of the reasons why there's this sort of like visual art renaissance happening is because there's resources up there because there's at one point i think there was three uh historic black colleges and universities up there so you had tsu fisk and meharry i want to say we're all separate at one point and then i think meharry is now part of fisk is that right yes i think it is something like that i I believe it is anyway but so so that's one of the other reasons why you ended up having you know our own beale street our own 52nd street arts because it was like it was a cultural environment where people were you know learning and people were studying the arts and people were writing books and there was you know uh there's like a whole lot of cultural energy in that part of town which is why you know, it kind of became its own, uh, you know, it could have become like another music row in a way, you know, right. that could have been a Stax yeah. label there, you know, that could have been, right. you know, another blue note, you know, see, wow. and if, if, <laughs> if we can figure out how to plant the seeds now for the next generation, then maybe that will, mm-hmm. like, it's like, like, like it can the, all loop back around, like, yeah, because, maybe. because we're in a place now where like those, even with 40 there, like now the, the, the bubbling up of everything that's happened, it's just going to supersede that those mm-hmm. barriers at this point anyway, because now it's just about real estate, mm-hmm. and that's good and bad, and and that's definitely like you know kind of like what you were saying, sort of like wow, there's another sort of whole conversation, yeah. um, but but ultimately, I mean, if you want to get like, I think having you guys being major um, sort of uh, contributors to that situation would be um amazing and i I know that there's something like you should what about like almost like a like what would be the equivalent of like a live at pompeii (laughs) yeah where would you do that you know what i mean like a really ambitious because there's something about you know you can do something because like there's something about that where it's like okay this is theoretically all places like a dead space yeah but it's teeming oh, with oh, history and life mean. well it, i wouldn't call it a dead space but one one space that could be rad is that well i'm saying pompeii i saw dead people there joe i understand what you mean and i love that movie they're all like they're <laughs> all like this though they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway i was gonna say though but like like there's like for instance there's uh 
the church that's on the campus at Fisk. Like there's all these beautiful murals that were painted by Aaron Douglas mm-hmm. there. And it's like, that's like, a, that's a fucking amazing <clears throat> space. You know what I mean? That would be a crazy place to do. I guess like, the idea is like playing enough. a show in a place where there's not an audience and then documenting that mm-hmm. to show, to give way to the actual place as opposed to mm-hmm. like, at least as a sort of a harbinger to whatever okay. it is that you would be doing. I just feel like something right. like that would what? be, I yeah, can imagine just be? all of a sudden this is just happening. I like happenings mm-hmm. when things just happen. Well, you could just happen at the church. Yeah, you could, <laughs> yeah. You could, you could just happen and uh, I mean, and I'm also saying the have setting like would a, be really dramatic because those murals are so beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, it really is. And then like over, yeah, like Buchanan Street and a lot of spots over there, um, have a lot of really interesting beautiful i mean there's so it's it's such a weird thing right the gentrification thing because there's so much potential there right and yeah. so much stuff that definitely like you know what if that house got knocked down that would probably be helpful to certain things because it's it's gone mm-hmm. and then other things where you're just like this is full on this is just another i-40 coming in to displace people but it's just mm-hmm. coming in the form of property taxes and here's how it works mm-hmm. and so i don't know i mean i, I feel like again we just, god we could open this up but it, nashville's done a pretty horrible job with like affordable housing and oh yeah and like even like signaled recently like where amazon pulled out of long island city yeah like I saw they're like we're out of here like you, you know we can't handle the pressure from the locals to do this correctly yeah <laughs> and then nashville's just like come on yeah they, <laughs> like nashville's yeah. got this weird thing where it's always been like the little brother that didn't get enough attention no a hundred percent it's man. always just like oh but we now we're nationally recognized for this and now yeah. we're, now we're never... a tourist destination it's so strange like like i want nashville to stop asking if it looks fat in this dress yeah i know when i first moved here i mean i moved here because i thought it was amazing <laughs> and the longer i was here the more i loved it and then i started realizing that it's like why is Nashville always trying to be something else? Like it's amazing. I, yeah, I just couldn't be believe itself. it. And I really, I will, I will level that that criticism against Nashville forever. As somebody who did come here from outside, it's like y'all have always done that, and I don't know why yeah. because nobody does Nashville like Nashville. Just do Nashville it's because of your upbringing. <laughs> yeah. Nashville's upbringing. <laughs> it's because of their Nash- Nashville's yeah. Nashville's dad but would, just right. didn't spend enough time yeah. at home I, yeah. and and like wasn't even interested in soccer. Yeah. But for people, I mean, this is this is another huge like whole other <laughs> other podcast. But the, I was going to say like Nashville is a place that's like extremely boomtown cranes everywhere building going everywhere national publications you know constantly talking about our restaurants and whatnot and yet like our city is like literally on the verge of bankruptcy because they don't they somehow haven't managed to garner the taxes from any of this yeah. and it's like what are y'all doing don't worry Amazon's gonna come in and fix all of that <laughs> yeah that's right that's uh-huh. right because they paid yeah. oh no never mind yeah uh-huh. uh huh so hey let's yeah. just ended up on a, like a, a bright note then. that was weird it was a weird right? way to end a podcast about art <laughs> <laughs> just talking, talking shit. art and taxes talking shit. <laughs> uh, but hey uh, seriously Paul I really can't thank you enough and I want to I want to hang more talk more mm-hmm. um, not tonight you're good uh, but soon yeah and, thanks uh, for making time for us uh, man. thank you all. yeah so where Appreciate can people find all of your things um, on Instagram uh, there's at no dot stress uh, you'll it'll come up Paul Horton. No stress. Um, no, yeah, no, no stress. stress. And then Twitter, uh, at underscore no stress underscore. Um, I am uh, quitting, uh, slowly quitting Facebook, so I. Mm, good for you. You probably find me on there. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But uh, I you need to get just a website. Keep your page up and just not use it. You uh, know what I mean? I pretty right. much just don't use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and concurrence at concurrence music. And of yeah, course, yeah. Bandcamp is concurrence 
www.bandcamp.com yeah uh, it's and, cool and um, there's some good stuff there on, on, the, on the concurrence uh, band camp which I highly recommend to anybody um, yeah like you saw that thing in the Nashville scene because I don't know why they asked me what I, I care about most in music or whatever I don't know how I'm on that <laughs> yeah, like short list you. of like you know pseudo tastemakers or whatever so I just like went hard I was appreciate that too no of course and then um uh also people can uh see you at you got some resident like you're doing Rudy's a lot yeah I wanted to talk more about Rudy's uh but we'll 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 do it again yeah Yeah. I can go back the next one is November uh November March 14th at Rudy's is Nash Maddox which is the live hip-hop and improvised music break dancers and then kick ass man that sounds awesome we have a fringe friends festival residency that ends on saturday this saturday uh, february 23rd with special uh, guest mike baguetta a great guitarist from knoxville where's that's at rudy's that's at radio cafe oh radio cafe okay kick ass yeah Yeah. that's up in uh inglewood Mm -hmm. that's right around the corner from me man so that's that's one saturday saturday at 10 oh okay i maybe i can get up there i gotta go to art thing early (laughs) awesome joe do you got any things I got a bunch of stuff going on, but again, this week, it's like all stuff I can't really even talk about because it's just sort of all in process. So, I yeah, got nothing I, to uh, to report. I'm uh, Soon, I'll be able to tell people specifically, it's nothing crazy big or something that I was singularly responsible for, but it is something I contributed to um, that I think will be pretty good. It's essentially a, uh, a documentary series that it's going to be on Topic.com that I did a lot of the drone work for that had me down in Memphis shooting at... Um, uh, the Lorraine Motel and mm. some other so basically this whole documentary series is on sort of the aftermath of places where violent acts occurred mm. on various scales and sort of what, what the culture did around it some things rallied some things didn't you know anyway it's a very interesting documentary series and I, I shot some stuff that I was really proud of for that so I'm going be interested to see how that storytelling gets put together but anyway that'll be on topic.com did you say sometime in called? early March I, I, I can't I don't even really okay. know but we'll let um, you guys know when the it's out the directors are going to tell me whatever the things okay. are that's how this works it's like out in early March we've got no title yet yeah yeah <laughs> watch topic.com in a couple of weeks or something but, yeah. uh, but anyway I just wanted to feel like one of us had something going on I know yeah you know? yeah a lot going on, but yeah, I got I know, nothing to right? talk about. God, it is like I'm, I love the sort of this is there's gonna be a spring harvest soon of a bunch of things. Yeah, I got that going on too. Yeah, uh, but hey, so thanks for all the people that left uh, voicemails, um, and uh, thank you again, Paul, for coming out. Thank uh, you. And we'll leave you with this uh, completely royalty-free sample-based uh, <laughs> outro. All right, see you guys later. Appreciate it. Hey guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and and help us out again anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast click on support this podcast all right thanks everyone